Welcome back to episode two of our conversation with Kath Prisk, all about play, the outdoors, freedom and responsibility. In the last episode, we talked about stranger danger, roaming rangers, the importance of letting your kids do dangerous things, and the UK's attitude to freedom and trust compared to other countries. In this episode, we talk more about how parents have less time than they've ever had before, the benefits of camping, the importance of letting your children be bored and how to deal with that as a parent. And we talk about the importance of play breaks in school. Enjoy. The other thing actually you say is, it's not to underestimate it, the additional stress it places on parents to be constantly yes. surveilling, constantly present. And I think, I look back and think, how did my mum do it with three kids and other a house full of other child-minded children? Oh. Well, because actually to some extent, and of course it was really hard and I don't seek to undermine how hard that was, but actually when we were out playing for three hours at a time and we might pop in for a snack or a drink or something and then disappear again well she had time to do stuff yeah. whereas I think about what life is like now for all of us we we never have that off time we're not we're not coexisting independently we're we're constantly in each other's pockets and and what is what does that do to children uh, I think what I really take from that is around the lack of confidence actually that that gives kids as well because I, I certainly know when I've taken my kids say camping for example yay! and there's a shop and I say yay yes we're going to come on to camping in a minute and I'll say there's the, the the campsite shop here's the money you wanted that treat you go buy that now and come back when you're done my child's never get that opportunity living in central London to, to park yeah. to the corner shop but camping, she comes back proudly, you know, chef, chest puffed that she got to do that. Or she goes off, she makes friends for hours with strangers and she comes back feeling better. I think I'm interested in, in the confidence. I think I'm also interested in the very stressful and structured nature of life as a parent today. And a lot of my friends complain. I certainly hate it when there's this sort of expectation. And yes, it's a middle class thing to some extent, I'm sure. But nonetheless, um, combined with the the need to supervise, the fear of being judged if you're not, combined with, well, I need to organise structured learning, play, recreation yeah. activities. I must take my child to, my friends do all sorts. You know, we've done jujitsu, we've done swimming. Other people I know have done basketball, football. I mean, you name it, we could go on and on. Yeah. Every night of the week, you know, in your car, there and back, here's half an hour of playtime. So more and more transitions, yeah. less and less downtime. Parents working harder and harder and harder to do what's right for their children um, because they love them deeply and really want what's best. Yeah. But actually, it feels like we're working harder yeah. and getting less. <laughs> and you are working harder, without a doubt. I mean, there's uh, a book. David Willits did a, a book called The Pinch a few years ago, which is about uh, did baby boomers steal our future? <laughs> it was like it's, it's, it was a really, but it was it had a really interesting chapter on childhood, where he showed that ch parents today spend more time with their children. Than in almost any other generation before. That's not just. The, I can believe that, yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's given that they're so much more time poor, because yeah. obviously, you know, in previous generations, you didn't have both parents working. Yeah. But still, mothers who work full time spend more time physically with their children now than they did in the 70s and the 50s and the 30s. That's, that's really profound. 
like if you divide, so I do, when I'm not podcasting, I do life coaching. And, and one of the exercises is about sort of dividing up the component parts of your life. I do this with a lot of working women. And, you know, it's essentially you're dividing up your time and your, your energy, mm -hmm. really, we think about it. The idea that not only are you putting all this time and effort into work, but you're also investing proportionately more time <laughs> than previous generations. I mean, more is going out in work, more is going yeah. out in kids. What's left for you? And as an individual and who is benefiting from this yeah because don't get me wrong i mean par children yeah. want parents time but they want their real time they don't want to physically yeah. and be in a room with somebody who's on a phone they mm -hmm. want short bursts of time where they know they've got undivided attention and then mm -hmm. they want to be know that they're, they're trusted to just be off by themselves um and i do want to come on to like you know schools and that importance of the same trusted time at playtime. So we as outdoor people do a programme twice a year where we take families from Hackney, mostly Hackney, London, um, camping, who've never been camping before. They are, you know, they're, they're parents who don't go to green spaces often and that by coming on this sort of four-day camping trip, the only goal is that we support them to shift their behaviour so they really like being outside a bit more. They usually come and they're really fearful and they're like, I'm doing this for my child because I know it'd be good for yeah. my child. Mm -hmm. And somebody hands them a frog and they scream. Freak. And <laughs> yeah, we make sure that everybody has wellies and waterproofs and very comfy camping space. Um, and now we've been doing it for six years. So now it's previous graduates, that have, previous people that have come on the camping trips that now come and support will match up a family. It's been with us a couple of times with another family who've never been before. So it's, peer-on-peer -peer volunteering mm. which is just great and we just leave them to it but the best bit for me in that week is always second day when you're sitting around the fire and a mum will say that is the first time I've let her play out of my sight wow I mean I had one mum who was watching her son starting to kick a ball he'd been kicking his little football around he was seven like not tiny and he kicked it to another boy and the boy kicked him back and they started kicking it. And then they ran off into the woods with the football and they were chuckling and giggling and um, playing, they'd making up a game. And she just turned to me and was like, that's the first time I've seen him make a friend by himself. Oh, wow. And these aren't, you know, these, these aren't bad parents these are good parents yeah, these normal are parents, normal good, yeah, loving parents loving yeah. parents who want the very best for their children some of them are living in, in more challenging circumstances you know third floor flats and places where it's more scary to let the kids play out outside that, that joy of just sitting and being able to chat to somebody else who's an yeah. adult knowing that your kids are off playing but not mm -hmm. having to worry about them and when I see mums and dads and their shoulders just relax and their whole body relaxes and then they go, oh, where are they? And I'm like, it's, it's <laughs> like, okay. let's listen. And they see where they are. And after three or four days, they go, I want this for my child. I want them to be able to play outside freely. I don't need to give them lots of activities. And partly it's a trust thing of yourself. You say, do you trust yourself? to cope when they say I'm bored and to not respond. <laughs> it's okay to be bored. It's like if somebody comes up and says I'm bored, I'm saying, well, what are you going to do about it? And they're like, what do you want me to do? I'm like, I don't know. Go over there. 
come back and tell me what you did. And I, yeah, and, and that, yeah. that can take practice. Yeah. That can take a lot of practice. So I, so my theory on this is it's got too easy to allay that boredom. It's too easy. So uh, at any given moment, a pressured, time poor and loving, well-intended yeah. parent that is petitioned repeatedly, nagged repeatedly by their child. Mum, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored. Yeah. Eventually, you're going to get weaker. You're going to be like, have the iPad. Yeah. There's the remote. Or they just actually go and do it without even noticing because you're off distracted doing what you're thinking. Whatever. It's at a Absolutely. flick of a button. They can have on demand essentially whatever entertainment they could ever wish for. And... I've thought a lot about this generation, a generation ago, you know, we had whatever it was, four channels and kids showed them from three till five. Yeah, three. (laughs) I think four was like launched whilst I was young and that was like, woo, channel four. Um, But we, you know, there was, it was two hours of kids TV a day. And if you didn't fancy watching Blue Peter, well, there was no TV. See you later. Go entertain yourself. And for younger children, they wouldn't want to see that anyway, because it was a bit out of reach. For older children, that wasn't cool anymore. So really your options were limited. So yeah, sure, we had TV. It just wasn't that appealing. And it certainly wasn't on demand. And yeah, we had films, but you know, you had X number of VHSs and you watch them that minute. So you might fancy it on a Saturday afternoon, but... You weren't going to be watching that through the week. Uh, and you, there's only so many times you can watch certain films. So I feel like part of the challenge is that constant temptation. I'd relate it to myself and my phone. Yeah. You know, it, it, I don't sit there doing absolutely nothing so often as hardly ever yeah. nowadays. Because if your phone is within reach, you're going to pick up and use yeah. it. And, and kids are going to do the exact same. So what is your take on on managing digital devices, actually, and that constant easy access opportunity which prevents parents saying like yeah sure you're bored go deal with it you know it's not easy but I just trained as a yoga teacher and one of the reasons I wanted to do it is because I want to improve my own mindfulness and my own addiction to technology and like the constant streaming you know I was one of those kids that if I was if I didn't have something to read I'd read the back of the cornflake packet you know I literally I would read anything rather than sit still and just be with my own thoughts um <laughs> mm-hmm. you know my dad thought my dad's idea of an absolute heaven holiday was to set off and drive for nine hours around pretty hills and I had terrible travel sickness so <laughs> it was a combination of torrential uh, horrendous boredom and feeling sick so I taught myself to fall asleep as soon as we got into a car and um never to have to deal with those feelings and then I got older and realized you need periods of stillness you need time to be just with yourself and to be happy with your own thoughts and to think of new things and to ponder new ideas and children need this too phones are not designed to be addictive phones I have here a traditional, yeah. I'm holding up a traditional telephone. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. A traditional push-button telephone with an actual handset. Don't use it very often. But with, with a curly wire, that is, with for a curly those that wire. can't see it, and numbers that you spin in a circle. So phones are designed to be tools that, that you know, originally designed to be tools that just help us communicate. These portable mm. handheld computers, as I hold up the uh, generic fruit device device, um, <laughs> they, um, these are designed to be addictive so that we buy more of them and yeah. Peter Gray just did a talk 
um, recently and is saying, you know, computer games are brilliant. Lovely way to learn new things. It's social play with people all around the world, you know. Now you can form teams to battle dragons with people from like four different continents. Fantastic. You don't do it all the time. And mm. before children play in a digital environment, yeah, they really do need that physical opportunity. They, it'd be good for them to be able to have made a fire, sat around a fire, toasted a marshmallow on a fire before they sit around a digital fire in some digital mm. world. But they come back to the boredom factor of if you need a few minutes peace and quiet, these handheld computers can make life very quiet very quickly. And as a babysitting tool, that's fine. Yeah, the American Pediatric Association says that no children under two should see no screens at all. Yeah. Um, under five, there's a recognition that um, a bit of screen time can give some respite for parents. But it's for the benefit of the parents. But it's for the benefit of the parents. For children under the age of five. Yeah. I mean, don't, it's just don't kid yourself that handing a child an educational game is teaching them anything other than like that holding a device is going to keep sending off serotonin signals in my head and make me want to hold it even more. I and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just, it's don't do it all the time. Let them also pick daisy chains and dig in dirt and get to know earthworms really well. Um, and that's a bit harder when you live on the fifth floor of a, of a housing block. But, you mm. know, have a big dirt tray in the corner and plant things. You know, one of our families that come uh, camping and on wild walks with us uh, over lockdown she planted all over her flat she planted cucumbers and marigolds and strawberries and tomatoes and that her kids were able to tell me the entire growth cycle of everything and all about earthworms because mm-hmm. they just brought them in and had them in the house it's so it's it is harder now you know, tim gill puts it really really well i think in terms of this the disconnection with the outdoors. It's like when we were growing up, as you said, Laura, you know, three or four channels on the telly. If you went outside, there were other kids to play with. Now, yeah. indoors is warmer, it's comfier, there's loads more to do. Back then, it was boring and you just went outside and everybody else <laughs> yeah. expected you to be outside. Now, people don't expect you to be outside so much in some places. And... So if you go out there, there's nobody else to play with. So you have to have arranged play dates. <sighs> well, what do we do about it? We've got a, a there is definitely a zeitgeist change. You know, I don't want to sit there and say that it's it's a one-way ticket because it isn't. We are changing, you know, school streets and play streets are changing the way people think about inner city streets. Um, there's a much bigger movement that says, we know how important the outdoors and nature is to us. You know, this last 18 months has made all adults really appreciate that when we walk outside, we can take a deep breath and listen to the starlings and the sparrows and the, you know, the life around us and observe nature changing. Mm. But 60% of children over lockdown went out less than they normally do. Um, and that's in the UK. Of course, we're going to be seeing the implications. And in the UK, at least we were allowed outside. Chile, yeah. Spain, Vietnam, kids were inside mm. totally. 
and it was illegal for them to go outside. So we are going to see the impact of that. And a recent report by the Children's Society, so released at the end of August uh, 2021, has just highlighted a 10-year decline in children's happiness, and that's pre-pandemic. So they were looking at data up to 2020 before the pandemic kicked in. So we have seen this consistent, steady decline in happiness of children in Britain. And they were particularly dissatisfied with um, their own appearance, actually, with boys becoming almost as gir- almost as unhappy as girls when it comes to that. So, so you know, aesthetics is, is affecting both genders. It's historically predominantly affected females more. But also with school. So they, they often went away saying we're relatively happy with home and, and some other things. But school and appearance seem to be two big factors in their minds. Uh, I know exam pressures, et cetera, a big cause of that and, and bullying and other things. But... What is your take on that report? And obviously, we don't even know how much worse it is really since the pandemic. And and what contribution do you think freedom and the outdoors can make or or what part it's had to play in those statistics? I think it it has had the loss of freedom, the loss of time outdoors is a major part of why children are less happy now than in previous generations a child who is not allowed to play that is a safeguarding issue because it's you're affecting their mental health you're affecting their well-being you're affecting their ability to develop as a as a biological entity which is why um you know for the previous five years up to last summer i was um global director for outdoor classroom day so it was huge privilege as a campaign, we reached 10 and a half million children, 177 countries, many thousands of schools, and over 60% of those schools that got involved in the campaign increased time to play. And they did it because most schools don't even, they don't even realize that they've been impinging on children's playtime. And when they do think about it, they almost, without fail, go, ah, we need to do something about this. In here in the UK, 20% of the school day is spent at playtime. E- even now, you know, they've lost a lot of playtime over the last generation. When I was at school in the 70s, almost every primary school in the UK had a morning break, an afternoon break of 15 minutes each and an hour and a half at lunchtime. And you walk yourself to school and could play before school in the playground. And after school, if you wanted to stay there and play with your friends, you could. That was just a normal part of the school day. So every child was getting two, three hours of outdoor playtime wrapped around the school day as part of normal life. You know, people don't become head teachers to traumatise children. But the act of reducing playtime, you know, calling wet play when it might rain, calling, um, saying, you know, you've got, uh, you've been identified as having a special need in in reading and so you need to do some catch-up so let's stop you know you don't go out to lunch today you get extra reading practice you know we are one of the few countries that do that and you know the the outdoor classroom day surveys around the world i asked what stops outdoor play you know here here in the uk and in florida we'd say yeah it might rain might mean it stops outdoor play whereas in the yukon it was like if the hailstones are bigger than their heads we stop outdoor play. <laughs> if it 
Brilliant. Yeah. If it goes below minus 40. I think I had a school in South Africa said if there are lots of snakes in the playground. I was like, fair enough. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, and this comes back to this respect thing of like, we don't respect children's autonomy as human beings that need that time to play. And we also don't value what it is that the implications of that. Because a child that's had a really amazing lunchtime that's played intensely that's had a few like minor arguments and then got over them that's made up some really good games um that's got run around that's maybe achieved like climbed a little bit higher than they've climbed before or they've stood on like eight tires and not fallen over or they've built a big nest or they've helped a five-year-old to climb a little bit higher they have a sense of pride in themselves and they go back into class and they say right i'm ready to learn now um that's why, I mean, last summer I had the opportunity to join the Opal Primary Programme and take on this uh, the franchise from Opal to um, support schools in East London and East Kent to become playful schools, to make their playtimes amazing. I started working with one school last September um, in Brent and lovely school in a very challenging bit of London the usual kind of mix of kids that you get in the northwest London inner city school. And children were happy, but there was an awful lot of wanderers, you know, those kids who just kind of were wandering around aimlessly. Mm-hmm. The teachers and the, the staff were reporting there, a lot of behavior issues, like a lot of low-level infractions, a lot of like like mit, little nitty arguments that they had to keep stepping in and sorting out. If they put out expensive equipment, it just got broken. And they're like, what's the point of us giving them stuff? They just break it. And I went back to observe the school just in July and the joy, the sheer joy in that playground. The noise went from being that slightly stressed noise that every teacher Mm -hmm. who's ever done playground supervision knows to being that busy, busy, (laughs) we are all having a good time. The teachers have said when they come in from from playtime now, they just sit down and get on with their work. They said, we are not having to deal with those behavior issues at the end of the school lunchtime. I said, I'm a bit bored now. I don't know, like, I don't have to do anything except make the environment one where they can play. They said the, the key thing that we did as, a, as, as an Opal mentor, the key thing was just simply giving them permission, raising awareness that play was important and giving them permission to make play as important as maths, as safeguarding, as well-being. I think I know the answer to this last question, but with every guest, I, I do ask them, based upon this topic alone, is childhood better or worse than a generation ago? I think you're going to confirm my fears now, aren't you? In terms of freedom to play, it's much, much worse. In, as, a, yeah. as, a spe- as, a, as, a, as a country as a whole, it's much worse. Um, children's right to play is not respected in policy, in practice, from Cornwall up to Newcastle. There are pockets where it well and truly is. There are child-friendly areas, there are places and people. But as a, as a general rule, children's right to play is not seen as a fundamental expectation. We can change this. And I think what gives me immense hope, real hope, is the examples you've given internationally of places in Scandinavia and Germany where there is a 
they have similar rate rates of um, freedom and play yeah. and roaming distance than that we had a generation ago. So it what <laughs> it might sound perverse, but I'm actually encouraged by the fact that UK is worse yeah. than some other international comparisons because that means we can be better and we can learn from them and we can actually recover. And even in today's society with the fast cars that we us parents fear and you know, even despite our stranger danger anxieties, actually in other comparable countries around the world, they're doing better than this. So we, we can get back to that or move forward even, if you will, to to, to that and, and follow their lead. And, and, and in schools, you've given a lovely example of actually how some really quite small and achievable tweaks and even just a slightly different mindset and attitude towards play as having val- inherent value. We can actually change this without too much difficulty, I think. We really can. And the great advantage we have in the UK because children's freedom was taken away so quickly. We developed a an entire profession called Playwork that we are, as the UK, the global leaders by a long, long way on an understanding on a professional level of what play is, that a play worker's job is not to develop children's skill or proprioception or anything else. Your job yeah, if you're looking after a school playground or an adventure playground or um, a play project in a park, your job is to create an environment where children have the freedom, time, space and opportunity to play. Is there somebody out there today who you regard as a bit of a hero in this field? Somebody who's improving childhood from the perspective of play that you'd like to sort of shout out now and maybe we can look up? I would definitely say Michael Follett because he came up with the Opal Primary Programme, that is transforming hundreds of thousands of children's lives at school. Quietly, school by school, play is being transformed. You can read his book. Um, if you look at Michael Follett, he's, he's written a book. He's got a website at Girl Play and Learning CIC. And we will put that in the show notes. Brilliant. One thing I'm really interested in mm. is um, as a young child, we went camping. Um we didn't have a lot of money and that was a really cost-efficient way to have holidays. Yeah. It's where most of my memories were made. And if we weren't doing that, I particularly remember one holiday, we went youth hosteling. We got like a family room in a youth hostel because it was based in really great locations where you could get to the outdoors. And, and that's what we just did with Pats of Picnic. We went out. Um, and as a, as a grown-up with kids of my own, I still really love yeah. camping. And thankfully, so does my partner. So we do that quite a lot. But what I'm really surprised by is so many people I know um, from all different backgrounds and life experiences aren't interested in <laughs> camping. Um, and I I kind of, I don't get it. And they obviously <laughs> don't get it, but I don't get them not getting it. I think it's great. Yeah. Why do people, why do more people not camp when it's so oh, cheap? This is a really good question. Um, a lot of people don't camp because they're not experienced at camping. They Because mm-hmm. they haven't had somebody to take them and give them the right gear as a as a young person i have a lot of people come into the shop who go he made me go camping i'm never doing it again it was cold it was uncomfortable i hated it and i'm like it doesn't have to be like that one thing that does upset me about the camping culture by the outdoors industry is that there is a view that you know there's you're not really camping if you take a duvet so well of course you are yes so Best definition I had of camping was from one eight-year-old who came on a camping trip with us who said, 
the best thing about being in a tent is you're only one zip away from the outdoors. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> is that Charlie? That is perfect. <laughs> so, I'm taking that for the website. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah. Pe- some people are weird. They don't like camping, and like good luck to them. And they can stay in hotels and come out, and we get to have the sunrises and the sunsets, mm. and that joy yeah. of being in a field where you just open the tent, and the kids can just go off and just do what they want to do, and you don't have to worry about it. And they'll come back when you shout, "It's time for breakfast." Kath, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've had an absolute blast, and you've been so kind in giving me your time to unpick a bunch of things which I have been in my head for a really long time um, and I know from the last series are in a lot of other people's heads uh, and we're trying to grapple with and understand so I think we've gone away with a number of tips there about you know essentially just being a bit braver uh, about giving our children a bit more freedom and the benefits that that freedom gives them and that trust so thank you so much. You're very welcome I've really really enjoyed walking down lots of memories and uh talking with you today laura thank you brilliant and let's let's get those roller skates absolutely i'm fine them today <laughs> all right oh. that's a challenge <laughs> <laughs> cheers bye cheers. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. My name is Laura Wyatt-Smith and you've been listening to Childhood Heroes. When I'm not recording podcasts, I'm working as a consultant and a coach to the non-profit sector. If you'd like to find out more about what I do, please visit laurawyattsmith.com. <laughs>